I want to welcome everybody here to Our Lady of Wisdom, particularly those who are not parishioners and maybe here from out of town. During this Holy Week, I've had a theme to my preaching for the major days, looking at the different garments or cloths that are present throughout the important events of the Sacred Triduum. So on Palm Sunday, we looked at the cloaks the crowds put out on the ground for Jesus to come over into the city of Jerusalem. Last night, we looked at the towel that Jesus wrapped around his weight. Today, I want to focus on the purple cloak that the soldiers draped over the, the shoulders of Jesus. And from my understanding and what I want to try to communicate today, it's a brilliant example of how easy it is for us to read a biblical account or let's say anything in history and to understand it through our 21st century lens, but not be able to truly see it and envision it as those during the time of Christ would. So today, we see in clothes, on billboards, on paint, the color purple everywhere. Some of you may be even wearing something purple. The Mardi Gras costumes and decorations that we have before Lent begins. The vestments that the priests wear during the season of Lent. The cloths that are covering our statues and cross. You can even go down to Walmart and get a purple and gold LSU sweater if you want. These colors, though, and all the different shades of purple are made from synthetic dyes. We have the technology, the chemistry to know to be able to make these different shades. But the truth is, the first sort of synthetic dye of the color purple that was ever discovered wasn't until 1856. It was particularly the shade of mauve. But before that, for centuries, we didn't have a way to create a lot of colors, but particularly purple. Purple was the rarest and most precious and expensive dye. Now, why is that? Well, in the time of Christ, you just couldn't go down to Joanne Fabrics to get some purple cloth for your costume. It was a very long, drawn-out process. The shade of purple we're talking about is called Tyrian purple, T-Y-R-I-A-N. It was known as Tyrian purple because it originated from the Phoenician city of Tyre. If you're familiar with your biblical passages, Tyre and Sidon. Tyre is the city that was known for the color purple. Well, the dye for purple clothes or whatever actually comes from two varieties of very small sea snails, these little crustaceans that are very common in the Mediterranean. And what you do is you would harvest them and then crush the shells. And when you crush the shell, it would pierce this one little gland 
that was on this little snail-type creature, and a clear liquid that sort of smelt like garlic, a drop of it would come out. But once that drop was exposed to sunlight, it would gradually turn into a dark purplish red, or pur which is the color, particularly when it's dyed, Tyrian purple. It was a long, arduous, and very, very malodorous task to produce the dye. We know that to produce one ounce of this dye, it took 250,000 little snails. So as you can imagine, this was so extremely rare. This dye was so extremely expensive. And sometimes it cost as much as gold, truly worth its weight in gold. And so that's the reason purple became associated with royalty and power. Supposedly purple, this Tyrian purple, was the favorite color of Cleopatra. And in the year 48 BC, after visiting Cleopatra, Julius Caesar, in her honor, introduced a new toga in the shade of Tyrian purple that only he could wear, no one else. And so in Rome, for the years following, only people of the highest importance could wear purple, mainly because they were the only ones who can afford it. But by the fourth century AD, only the emperor could wear the color. And in fact, if you were caught wearing the color, you could face execution. So I want to keep this in mind, the reality of what purple meant 2,000 years ago. It should change the way that we understand and look at the soldiers dressing Jesus in a purple cloak. Your average soldier, your infantry, brings up a lot of questions. First of all, is where did the soldiers get it? Now, it's described as a himation, which is the, the word for cloak that we talked about a few days ago. It's not a toga, so probably it didn't belong to Pilate or necessarily any Roman official, although it quite possibly could have. Maybe it was stolen from a wealthy Jew. We know that they had purple cloth in Israel. The purple cloth mostly had to do with the temple or the priest in the temple. Quite often the priest's garments had purple threads in them and the supposedly the veil in front of the Holy of Holies was also purple. But why would they take this expensive and very rare cloth and drape it over this bloodied and beaten man who they believed to be was a convicted criminal? In our own parlance or understanding today, it would be like going and getting a very, very expensive Italian suit and putting it on someone who was dirty and bloody and filthy and sweaty. Or, if you'd like to use an analogy that maybe Father Champagne would use, sort of like going and taking your third cousin who just got out of prison, let him take your new Ferrari mudding 
in a dirty old field out there in Gadon. <laughs> you wouldn't do it. It doesn't make any sense. It's craziness. Now, before we go on, I've got to make one note. The Gospel of Matthew describes the garment differently. He says instead of a purple cloak, it is a scarlet military cloak, like one that one of the soldiers would wear. However, John and Mark also describe it as purple. That being said, what we're going to have to do is focus on the Gospel of John in order to see what he was trying to say about saying or demonstrating or pointing out that the cloak of Jesus was purple. And so I've been trying over the course of the past several days to, to think about and do research on this, and I couldn't find any answer. And so last night I was praying, and I rarely say that I have a real inspiration from the Holy Spirit, but I was just out of, my brain was so tired, out of nothing, I got this idea. Now I don't know, maybe a biblical scholar will tell me that I'm wrong, but I think there's a parallel with this purple cloak in John 19 and another preceding passage in the Gospel of John. That's the anointing at Bethany in John chapter 12. We know the story. Right before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he's dining with Mary and Martha and the newly risen Lazarus. And so Mary takes some very expensive ointment and pours it over Jesus' feet and begins to dry his feet with her hair. And so Judas is the one who interjects and says that she's wasted this expensive nard. It could have been used to give money to the poor if it had been sold. And Jesus responds here in the Gospel of John, let her keep this for the day of my burial. Because, of course, the poor you will always have with me. And so he's recognizing what she's doing as an act of mercy, foreshadowing his own death and the anointing of his body that will come after. And what hit me is how there are so many parallels between the anointing at Bethany and then, still within this Holy Week narrative, the putting of the cloak around Jesus. So first you have Mary, and then you have the soldiers. Both are involved in squandering a very expensive item. Mary, the oil, the soldiers, the cloak. Now, they had two separate intentions. Our Mary's intention was to honor Jesus. The soldier's intention, however, was to mock and to ridicule Jesus as a false king. We also see, though, that Judas protests in the first one. But there's no one, at least that we know of, to protest why are you using this cloak? What's going on? It doesn't make any sense. And so you could imagine quite possibly there was. And so looking at the parallels and how they're so similar, what could this mean? 
What could the connection of both of them mean? And more specifically, what does the cloak mean? And the truth is, like last night, I don't have a very clear and concise answer, but I have several things that I'd like you to pray about over the course of the next day. And they're from passages taken from Pope Benedict's book, Jesus of Nazareth, the second volume that deals with or focuses upon Holy Week. The first thing is this, and this is him talking about the soldiers arraying him in the purple cloak. He says, quote, the soldiers are playing cruel games with Jesus. They know that he claims to be a king, but now he is in their hands. Now it pleases them to humiliate him, to display their power over him, and perhaps to offload vicariously onto him their anger against their rulers. So if this is true, quite possibly the cloth did belong to one of the rulers, the centurions, possibly Pontius Pilate. And maybe they stole it as a way to get back at them for the way that they treated them. So the truth is, they wouldn't care if it's expensive. They'd put it on Jesus and waste it that way. It's like going and ruining something very nice of a person that you despise. Besides, they quite possibly figured they were going to get it back anyhow. We can assume that this purple cloak was part of the garments, the cloaks, that the soldiers divided among themselves. Now, it's not very, very specific how they divided Christ's garments, but it seems that they may have torn it into four separate pieces. And so if they each took a piece of that cloth, the cloth would still be very, very expensive. There was another garment, the seamless tunic, that was not torn apart. They decided to, to cast lots for it, which makes us think that the other ones were torn apart. So that's the first thing to understand that Benedict gives us. That they possibly the reason they did it was to get back at their rulers. Sort of a rebellion or mutiny. Passive-aggressive, actually. The second thing is this. Benedict writes, quote, The history of religions knows the figure of the mock king related to the figure of the scapegoat. Whatever may be afflicting the people is offloaded onto him, and this way it is to be driven out of the world. Without realizing it, the soldiers were actually accomplishing what those rites and ceremonies were unable to achieve. Upon him was the chastisement that fell on us all, it belonged to us all. Quoting Isaiah 53, it is the song of the suffering servant. And by his stripes we are healed. So what does he say? Is the lesson is that even when evil people do so many terrible things against Christ and his church and spend time and energy and money to attack and ridicule the faith, it can still fill a higher divine purpose. God is still going to be given the glory without them even realizing it or understanding it. And so these soldiers 
were honoring Jesus even though they didn't understand what was going on. That's how it compares to what Mary did at Bethany. And this is the truth, I think, that we can see throughout our lives. This divine irony. Mary intends to honor Christ. The soldiers don't, but they honor him anyway. The rites are still fulfilled. But even throughout the history of the church, we can see it. Most in particular, I think of all of the time and energy and resources the communists use to bring down Pope John Paul II. Even the assassination attempt. But guess what? Not only did it not stop him, but he became a much larger, more powerful and dominant figure to actually bring down communism. And so that's the way the Lord still continues to use it. And third and finally, Pope Benedict says that this shows, this, this, this putting the cloak on Jesus, shows his innermost dignity cannot be taken from him. The hidden God remains present within him. Even the man subjected to violence and vilification remains the image of God. And so this ties back to what we saw yesterday. Jesus divesting himself of the cloak that symbolizes his glory and his divinity. It's a sign of his self-emptying. But he still remains God. He still has dignity. And so a much finer cloak is put upon him. A much more beautiful and expensive cloak to show who he truly is. King and God. And this is the way the Lord, the Father, works through these bad people, these tragic events, in order to bring about good. And so I want you to take these thoughts on the purple cloak to prayer today if we're sort of making the Trudum as a little retreat. Again, I don't know all the answers. Maybe someone will be inspired and you can share that insight to me with later. But I ask you, though, as you pray and you meditate on the reality of the cloak, of Christ's divinity, of honoring his body, at some point begin shifting your mind and your heart away from the purple cloak to the burial cloths of Jesus as we wait during Holy Saturday for Christ's resurrection.